Lord, we want to thank you for bringing us all together here today safely. I want to thank you for everything that you've done in our lives throughout the week and everything we know you'll continue to do. I always ask that you come be with us today as we worship you. In your name we pray. Amen. Take my 
to be overcome by your presence, Lord, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Amen. All right, everybody take a second, turn around and say hello to somebody. If you're new here, go ahead and pick up one of these forms from the seat back in front of you, fill it out, and drop it in the offering bag as it goes through. The Back to School Pool Party is tonight, August 13th, from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. We need help cooking and serving. We also need you to bring homemade cookies. Thanks for helping us show love to the kids of Franklin. The 2023 Women's Retreat is September 14th through 16th. Women over 18 are welcome to come. See the information table for more details. the announcements. If you need any more information, go to our website or pick up a bulletin. Thanks for being here and enjoy the service. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Ready for school to start back? Yes. Anyone know? I'm not going back. So, um, Couple things tonight, if you want to help, we, uh, bring cookies. We need lots of cookies and, uh, be there about 6.15 so we can unload the truck and stuff. And then, uh, if you got kids or grandkids, bring them and, um, that'll be cool. Then Wednesday we cook out for all the teachers coming back to Franklin. Then next Sunday's Wildcat Sunday where we invite the kids to come to church and cook out for them. And then we do Anthony Wayne, 31st, something like that. So a bunch of things. I want us to stop just for a second. Uh, a dear friend of mine, uh, Member of our church, so he always sit over there by the thing. He passed away this morning about two o'clock. Ray, Ray Hensley, and so he's been. His wife passed away a couple years ago, and and Ray uh, was ready to go, and so I visited him Thursday, I think, and and so he was he was good. But uh, so let's just say a prayer for his family, okay? So God, I pray for Ray's family. Lord, we believe in the hope, we believe in the resurrection, and we know that He's good. We know that He's united with you, but also with His wife, Lord, that He's missed, and so God. I, Ask you to bless the family today. Just give them your comfort. And uh, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. See, what else is there? I don't know. Now, doing double prayer. Say a prayer for the offering. I, for- I didn't forget. I just knew that. I just didn't feel like throwing an offering prayer in there by praying for the family. So, okay. Uh, prayer request. Anybody have a prayer request that we can, you know, say a prayer for someone? Yeah. Your grandma. Okay. Anyone else? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Anyone else? Yes, Marion. Oh, okay. All right. Let's, yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. Let's just say a prayer for these people right now, too, in the offering. So, Lord, I, I lift these, these people up to you, God. You, you know who they are. And Holy Spirit, we ask you just to come and just touch them. So, Lord, I ask you also to bless the offering today as we do lots of things to reach out to touch people with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, good morning. How we doing? You guys alright? Alright, we're gonna finish our series today on the summer of love. And so, I don't even know how many weeks we've been doing this for. Probably like ten weeks or something like that. And, uh, so it's, you do a sermon series, it's like kind of flying a plane. Like you launch and then you fly for a while and today we're gonna try to land. Hopefully we don't crash, right? And so, um, I always like to start off by just taking a few moments just to simply be still and center our hearts down and open ourselves up to God. And so just make yourself comfortable. Don't fall asleep. I mean, if you do, that's cool. If you fall asleep, you probably need it. So let's just take a few moments simply to, to center our hearts down and open ourselves up to God. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you just come and just um, open us up to you. So, Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for your love and what we've been learning about it. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you just come and open our hearts to you. ask that you just bless our time. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. First Corinthians 13, 13, it says this. It says, Now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. The reason Paul wrote 1 Corinthians in the first place was to correct some abuse that was taking place within the church. Imagine that, right? Apparently some people were abusing what are known as the spiritual gifts, the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, the gift of knowledge. And um, it was starting to get out of hand. Like, you know, like that 
that creepy guy at church that comes up to you out of nowhere and says, hey, God told me to tell you this. Ever have that happen to you? Hopefully not here. But that stuff happens, right? Or I, I saw a vision of this and the world's going to end on this such and such date or whatever, whatever it may be. These types of things were taking place in that church. And so Paul writes a letter to correct this abuse. And he, and he kind of gets to this point where he's talking about the reality is this, that when we talk too much and we do all these gifts without love, then it's pointless. It's like a, a banging gong or cymbal, he even says. It's just like loud noise that, that pushes people away instead of bringing them closer to God. Does that make sense? And so he begins this, this chapter on love and all of the attributes of love. And then he lands here with this faith, hope, and love will abide. That all these other things will pass away. If you have this gift of prophecy, it'll pass away. If you have this gift of knowledge, it'll pass away. If you have this gift of tongues, those things will pass away. But there will be three things that will remain as we step into whatever the other side of this is. That as we step into eternity, there will be three things that will remain. Faith, hope, and love. And so we're just going to talk about these things for the next few bits. Good? So first, faith. I want us to think about faith, hope, and love as pillars or the foundation of our relationship with God. When it comes to our relationship with God and as we, as we walk it out day by day, faith, hope, and love are the things that hold this whole thing together. And so it begins with faith. There's this story in the Old Testament about a man named Moses. Moses had, in some sense, he was a Hebrew orphan that is adopted by the Egyptian family, uh, adopted by the, the, the king and the queen of Egypt, and he's raised in the royal family. And yet he knows within himself that he is not part of this family, but his, his family of origin is enslaved by the Egyptians. And he comes to a place where he's fed up with it, and he does some, um, he kills a guy, and it, I mean, it's a wild story, but he finds himself in exile. Like he has to get out of there, because if he doesn't, he's going to be in trouble. And he's working as a shepherd in the wilderness. And God speaks to him and says to him, I want you to go back, and I want you to free my people. And he doesn't want to do it at first, but eventually he does, and he goes. And eventually the Pharaoh frees the people, and they're on their way. They've left their bondage. They've left their slavery. They've left life as they've known it. And they're moving through the wilderness, the desert, and they come to this this crisis. And in the story, the crisis is this sea. They have the, the Egyptian sh- soldiers behind them, pursuing them. They have their past pursuing them. And, and yet, there's this sea in front of them. And, and within the ancient Hebrew mind, this these waters, they're not just a, just like a a fork in the road or a, a way to not get around. Like, this represents the chaos of the future. Right? I was just having a conversation with John Armstrong, who usually sits right in here when he's not teaching up in the kids' class. And he's starting a new job this week. He's been working at a a particular school in Middletown for troubled kids, and he's been doing that his entire teaching career. And he's now left that job and he's going to be teaching history in at Madison High School. And he told me that he hasn't slept in the last three days. And I'm like, why? Because it to me it's like dealing with the troubled kids of Middletown versus going to work in at Mad like it's probably gonna be a better job for him. But it's the unknown, right? It's the unknown, it's the chaos, it's the waters like I don't know if I have what it takes. I don't know if if this is going to work out. Maybe it'd be better off if I was back in Egypt, right? Oftentimes, in working with with people who struggle with substance abuse problems, they've grown up in the dysfunctional chaos of their lives, and because of this, they've figured out ways to to medicate themselves. To be able to deal with their reality. And one of the things I've noticed over the years is it's hard for people to get sober. It's hard for people to get sober because they don't know what that's going to look like. They're so used to what they've been enslaved in. 
that the idea of stepping into the waters of the unknown is terrifying. I, I even know some, I've known some people that will, they will find themselves incarcerated and they get used to that lifestyle and then they are set free the, and they end up doing on purpose something so they can go back because it, they feel safer in prison versus the being a free person. Does this make sense? <laughs> Fair enough. And so sometimes this is just the pattern of our lives, isn't it? We know that we can't stay where we're at, but there's this fear of what's going to happen, the future. What does that look like? And so Moses is standing with the people in front of the chaos of their future, with their past haunting them down. And God says, take your staff and raise it, and I will part the waters. Now, in my little kid brain, my preacher kid brain, the way that I imagine that it happened is that the waters probably didn't move until they started to step in. Right? God doesn't seem to to make a path for us and, and line it all out. He just calls us to follow him. Even like the story of Abraham, I want you to leave your father and your household and go to the place that I'm going to show you. I'm not going to tell you where we're going. I'm not even going to tell you how we're going to get there. As we walk together day by day, I will show you where we're going. Does this make sense? And so faith, our life with God, often feels like we're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Often we're running from or trying to leave this past that we have. Sometimes it maybe was a good thing. Maybe it was even comfortable. But we just know deep in our heart that we have to move forward. And yet at the same time, there's this chaos in front of us that is this unknown that we have to step into. And the story goes that as Moses raised his hands and as the Israelites began to, to wade in the waters, they begin to part. And this is crucial to our life with God is learning that this is going to be a pattern that we're perhaps going to constantly have to work through. Now in our modern world, we often, we mistake what it means to believe or to have faith. Often it's, it's something that we keep personal. It's often something that we do intellectually. And so I believe that this stool can carry my weight. But do I really believe? What does it require for me to truly believe? It requires me to actually set down. Does this make sense? And so biblical faith isn't just something that I believe is true. It's putting my trust in it. It's taking that step of faith and trusting that it can hold me. It's stepping into the waters with the belief that they will part. And it's trusting in this God that is love. Good? Makes sense? And so it begins there. It begins with, okay, if, if I'm truly going to trust Jesus with my heart, I'm going to invite him into my life and follow him. Well, then I got to follow him. What happens a lot of times, I think, in modern Christianity is we say yes, that we're going to trust God, we're going to trust Jesus. And then Jesus goes and does Jesus things. And what do we do? We stay put because, like, I don't know about that. I like, I love, Jesus wants me to love people. Okay, I'll love people that I like. I don't want to love those people, right? And then Jesus goes and loves those people. Do I really trust Jesus if I'm standing here and say I do, or do I trust Jesus when I'm with him loving those people? Does that make sense? And so faith requires of us to step into the unknown. It requires us to sometimes step into the chaos and trust that somehow, some way, as I say yes, the waters begin to part. And so it begins with faith. And Paul says this is something that abides, that will always be with us. That 
whatever it is on the other side of all of this, it will be a continuation of us learning to live and trust in God. Yeah? Good? Which leads to the next thought. Over time, what begins to happen in our life of faith is that these little seeds of hope begin to be planted in our souls. When I've said yes to God, and I've seen him part the waters, I've seen him make a way, it begins to grow something in in me that I can begin to share with other people. And that thing that begins to grow is hope. That I don't have to have all of the answers all of the time. That I can, I can, I can trust that, that God is going to make a way or God has my best interest or God's going to carry me through it when life happens. Jesus was an agent of hope. Jesus' main message as he came out of the waters of his baptism, as he said yes, stepped in and came out. His main message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now we spiritualize this and that's not a bad thing. But for these first hearers, this would have been the spark of a revolution. Because they were occupied. They were occupied by the kingdom of Rome. They were oppressed by this foreign military power. And so for these first hearers, this would have sparked hope. Wait a minute, there's, there's another type of way to see the world? There's another kingdom that we can be a part of? Caesar isn't Lord, but Jesus is. And so it sparks this hope in their lives. And, and for me, this is why I don't really care too much about politics. Anybody get bent out of shape about politics in here? Yeah, Why? Because we're putting our hope in the wrong thing, right? We're, put, we're putting our hope in the belief that, oh, if we had this president, well, then things would be better. Or if we had these policies, well, then things would be better. Or if we had these certain people in power, well, then things will be better. But we live in a system that just is never going to It's never going to give us what, they, what it offers. Yeah? Why? Because it's, it's ran by flawed people. We're all flawed. And, and so, Jesus came speaking a different message, that the kingdom, the kingdom of God is at hand. That there's a new way to see this world. And that at the end of the day, we're going to either, we, we're going to be citizens of that kingdom. Like, there won't be a United States of America section when we get to heaven. Right? Hey, all you Americans, you're over here. You know, whatever, whatever. That's not going to be the case. And so why worry about something that's not going to last? Obviously, we want to be the types of people that are, that are bringing love and light into the world, and that's what it means to be part of this other kingdom that Jesus talks about. My dad has a, uh, a little uh, license plate on the front of his car. It says ETK. What does it stand for, Dad? Expanding the kingdom. And so you and I, we are, we are citizens of another realm. We are citizens of another kingdom. We have another king that we pledge allegiance to. And so we're called to be agents of hope, to bring light and love into this world. And so regardless of what's going on, you've been placed in a particular place in your life to, to extend this love, this grace, this understanding. I got my hair cut this week. I wasn't happy about it. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, your wife's a beautician. Why won't you let her cut your hair? And I would say because that starts World War III. Me and Amber fight about mainly three things. One, her redneckness. Two, money. And three, on how she cuts my hair. Now, I only have control of one of those, one of those options, so I take control of it. And I don't let her cut my hair. Because it's, it's just, I'm particular. So I go to Great Clips this week to get my hair cut. And, uh, 
I sat down and they keep a record of how you like your haircut and she goes through that and then I explained to her what I want, just take a little bit off the top and clean it up on the sides. And as she starts cutting my hair, she starts just spilling her guts about how her life is falling apart. And I don't know if I just put off that vibe, but as a pastor, I've observed that I might not even know you and people just start confessing their stuff to me. And maybe that happens to you as well. And there's a reason why, because they sense, maybe not even consciously, but some subconsciously, they, they sense that grace that you carry and they're drawn to it, right? Does that make sense? So she's, she's telling me about how her life is a mess and all I can think about is my hair is a mess because you're cutting it all off. And she's trying to move to Alabama, but she has a young adult son and he, she doesn't know if he can make it on his own and all, you know, all this stuff. And so what are we to do in those moments? We plant those seeds of hope. We listen. We have empathy. We encourage. And we extend the kingdom in the same way that Jesus extended the kingdom. Going to those, the least, the last, the lost, those people that we push to the sides. Like I could easily just have been like, ah, whatever, lady. And complain about how she had messed up my hair. It'll, I mean, it'll grow back, but thank you. But you, you see what I'm saying, right? Like it's, we're in places to, to bring this joy that we share to other people because the world needs it, right? You need it. I need it. Sometimes I don't have hope. I need other people to plant that seed in my heart. And so faith So it begins with faith stepping into the unknown, trusting that God will make a way, and that as we begin this journey, as we continue in this journey, those those seeds of hope are planted in our lives, and as that bears fruit in our lives, we then begin to share that with other people. And so it begins with faith, and then it, it continues with hope. And then Paul ends this by saying that the next step is love. And that Jesus demonstrated this love here. Now, what does it mean to love? And is there a pattern? Is there a way for us to truly learn how to love in the way that Jesus loved? Because he calls us as well to bear our own cross and to carry it. And so how do we love? When counseling young people who are going to get married, I often talk about this with them. Because love is more than just an attraction to someone. Love is more than an emotion that you share with someone. From the biblical understanding, love is a command that God calls us to do. And so how do we fulfill this, this commandment to love, to love God, to love our neighbor, to love our enemy? How do we cultivate this in our lives? I always begin with young, with young people by saying the, the way that you begin to really love another person in the way that, that Jesus calls us to is that we, it begins by serving them. I have my old joke is that I, I make my wife coffee every morning whether she, she deserves it or not. I don't do as much because sometimes we're on, we're on different schedules, but If we're both up at the same time, I always try to make her a cup of coffee, whether she deserves it or not. Most of the time, she doesn't. And if your relationship is tit for tat, I'm only going to do this if you do this for me, that's not love. That's just an arrangement, right? And so I try to serve my wife. I try to serve my kids. I try to serve my you guys and my friends from a place where I'm not going to get anything in return. Now, what does that do at the end of the day to our heart? Well, what it does is it begins to break that shell of selfishness that we all carry around. Because if you're like me, and hopefully you're not, you just want to do what you want to do, right? Like we we adopted this cat. 
We found her, or him, we don't even know what it is yet. We found it at Taco Bell, and it got ran over by the car in front of us. And so it was getting ready, like it got ran over by the car in front of us, and the car, two cars in front of us, and then the car in front of us was getting ready to, to finish him off. Like it was, and they didn't know. I mean, the thing was tiny. It's right in front of the wheel. And I saw, like, I was like, that's a, that's a cat. So I'd get out of the car. I'd knock on the door of the guy's car. I didn't want him to shoot me. And we grabbed this cat. So we've been nursing this cat back to health. And he's actually doing really good. But last night, Amber was like, we need to feed the cat. And I don't want to feed the cat. I kind of regret that I even saved this thing. Like, you know, part of half of my heart. Right? Half of my heart regrets that we even have this thing. The other half, by the way, that's a good John Mayer song, half, uh, half of my heart, but. So I put, get done with what I was doing or put it to the side to get up and so we could feed this cat. Selfish Mark didn't want to do that. But the part of me that God's refining says yes. Does that make sense? And so it's learning how to recognize that in within ourselves. You know, the old cartoons with the angel and the devil on either side. You've got to tell that one to shut up. Because God's refining our hearts day by day, action by action. And we can either choose sin and selfishness or we can choose the way of love. And God calls us to go the way of love. And so it begins with serving people. It begins by serving with no strings attached because that's doing something to me. It's changing me. It's transforming my heart. But it doesn't simply stop there. It also requires that we learn how to sacrifice for one another. Now, if you've, like, you've been on a sports team, you probably understand sacrifice. Sacrifice is, is doing the things that I don't want to do because I have a goal at the end of the day, right? If I want to, if I want to lose weight, then I'm going to have to be disciplined with my diet and I'm going to have to to make a sacrifice and get up and go to the gym or I need to walk or I need to do something. I'm going to make a a physical, mental, emotional sacrifice, but the reason I'm doing it is because I have a goal at the end, right? And so oftentimes we're willing to sacrifice because we agreed on a goal. And so like sports teams, they sacrifice for one another so that they can win the game on Friday night or, you know, in a relationship, maybe one of the two of you wants to go back to school. You don't like the job that you're in. I want to go back to school and finish my degree. We can have a better place for ourselves. And so what happens? Well, the load's going to be put on one of the two in the marriage so that the other one can pursue the thing that they're looking to pursue. But at the end of the day, both benefit from the same thing and both are willing to sacrifice for that thing. Does that make sense? And so we serve because it breaks us out of that selfishness. And then we learn to sacrifice because the two are becoming one or we're learning to, to be one in love and we have this common goal that we're going after. But sometimes what will happen when it comes to relationships and love is that one of us, we don't like the goal. We don't like where we're going. Jesus has a moment like this. About 24 hours before this happened, he's praying in a garden. He's asked his disciples to pray with them, but they're too tired. They probably had too much wine at the Last Supper. And so they're just kind of passing out. And he's out praying. And it's so strenuous that it says that he sweats blood. And there's this moment, and this is Mark's paraphrased version, but he says to God, he's like, Father, I don't want to do this. Like, if there's another way that we can do this, I'm down because the idea of getting that, he's just like, I don't know, no, that doesn't sound like fun, right? But then he ends his prayer a particular way. He says, but Lord, not my will, but your will be done. What does Jesus do here? Jesus doesn't agree with the goal. It's going to end here. And he's not so sure about it. He has, a, he has a human moment. I don't know about this. Um, another example. When Evan was about, my son Evan was about two years old, he, uh, we bought him a turtle. 
because we thought it would be a cool pet. And he loved this turtle, and he'd carry it around. He'd hug it and kiss it and pet it and put it in his diaper. And then about two weeks after having this turtle, he got really sick. Now, and, and, and he got really sick, and Amber was like, he was like having diarrhea. He even potty trained himself during this time because he, he was done with going in his diaper. And uh, so Amber was like, we need to take him to the hospital. There's something wrong with him. And I'm like, he's fine. Just give him some Gatorade. He'll get over it. And so side note, give you some context for this story. Amber grew up in a family where you went to the doctor for anything. You got a hangnail? Let's go to the doctor. You sneezing? Oh, you poor little baby. You're sick. Let's go to the doctor. Right, you guys? They might, must have had good insurance. I grew up in a family where you went to the doctor once a year for your checkup and if you're dead. My mom sent me to soccer practice when I broke my ankle. She claims that I sprained it. But I don't know. So we didn't go to the doctor for any any reason unless, like, it was really, really bad. And so at the time when Evan is two and we have this turtle, we don't have any health. We, I don't even think we had health insurance. And... And I was just like, no, we can't afford to go to the doctor over a stomach ache. Are you serious? Like, come on. And she was like, no, we got to go to the doctor. So here we are. I don't agree with the goal. They're going to tell us that he just needs to drink some Gatorade. But because I loved her and I trusted her intuition, we went and we found out that he had salmonella poisoning and that if we would have waited another 12 to 24 hours, he would have died of dehydration, and he had to have a bunch of IVs and a bunch of, right? Does that make sense? And so in that moment, I had this realization like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe she's tuned in to our kids in a way that I'm not. Maybe this whole mother intuition thing is actually real, and I don't have that, and she does. And maybe from here on out, I should probably trust her when she kind of gets a feeling about the kids. Does this make sense? And so to submit to someone is when you don't agree with the goal, but you trust and love the other person enough that you're willing to submit to that even though you think it's a bad idea. Now, here's the thing about submission. It has been completely abused within the Christian context, especially between husbands and wives. Husbands abusing their spouses, making them submit to abusive behaviors because the Bible says so, right? I would say this. This is my advice to that. Never submit to someone that you can't trust. Submission comes after serving and sacrifice. This person has served me and they have my best interest and they do things for me with no strings attached. Hmm, maybe I can trust this person. This person's willing to sacrifice for the goals that perhaps we have together and they're willing to lay it on the line so that we can get to where we need to go. Well, then what is that doing? That's building that bridge of trust that love bonds us to, walks over to us. And if a person hasn't built that bridge of trust, and love by serving and sacrificing for you, then certainly do not submit to them. Does this make sense? It's learning to have boundaries with toxic people because toxic people will manipulate and abuse you any way they can. And that's not love. That's anti-love. That's anti-Christ. And so it's learning how to serve. It's learning how to sacrifice. It's learning how to submit to one another, which ultimately leads us to this place of surrender, where we simply surrender to God that is love. The way that I think about it is that God is this love that is like this channel or stream that is always flowing, and at some point, I got to get in, and I'm going to go wherever it takes me. And so when I'm on the shore of it all, I don't, God calls me to forgive. I don't, I don't want to forgive that person. I don't want to do that thing for that person. But see, that's the way that love runs. 
That's the direction that it's going. And so at some point I have to surrender and step into those waters and allow it to take me to where it's going. Does this make sense? And so Jesus, when he says, not your will, but my, but not my will, but your will be done, what is he doing here? He's surrendering. He's submitting to his father. He's stepping into that love that's going to bring him to a new place. Oftentimes we don't want to do the things that God has called us to do, but he calls us to carry our cross and we sacrifice ourselves and our egos, our wills. And what do we find on the other end? We find a resurrected life. And so Paul says that faith, hope, and love abide. These three, they're everlasting But then he ends the section by saying this, but the greatest of these is love. Now, why does he say that? Here's my guess. I've had times in my Christian journey where I've had plenty of faith. The type of faith that could move mountains. But I've had other times where I have, I've had none. No faith. It's no way. What do you do when you're there? I've had times in my life where I've had so much hope that it just probably beams from me. And yet there have been other moments where you, you leave that hospital room and you've seen the tragedy that had taken place and you think, how could anybody have hope at all? Faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Why does Paul say that? I, I believe he says that the reason it can be illustrated in this picture here. Sometimes it's like we wander off. Sometimes we have no faith. Sometimes we have no hope. What does love do in that situation? Love leaves the 99 and comes and finds you. Love picks you up and carries you when you have no faith. Love carries you when you have no hope. And love brings you along until you find yourself And it's back to normal where you can stand on your own two feet again. Faith, hope, and love abide these three. Jesus is love. The good shepherd comes and carries us through it. And so, one last thing. Allow allow these three things to be the pillars of of your life. Faith, hope, and love. Abide these three. They're everlasting. But the greatest of these is love. Good? Yeah, it's time to be done. I'm done. So two questions. What's God saying to you? And what's one thing that you can do about it? Maybe for you right now you have no faith. Maybe for you right now you have no hope. Allow love to carry you through. And so we're going to take a few moments simply to reflect on this, and then we're going to share communion together. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you come, that you speak to our hearts in these next few moments.
All right, amen. If you have one of these, grab it, take it out. Every week we take part in this this ritual, this reminder that we have been welcomed to the Lord's table. That we are welcomed individually and we are welcomed as a family to participate in the life of God. And every week we pray this prayer as a way to center our hearts and minds because if you're like me, you get off track. And so, pray this with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup of wine. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant that's been shed for you. And he gave it to his disciples. and He said, do this in remembrance of me. Later, reflecting on this, the apostle Paul said that every time that you and I, we gather and we take this bread and we drink from this cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. Which means we remember what Jesus did, that he was broken and poured out for the sake of the world. And that we're reminded that we are called as the body of Christ to take part. To, to be broken and poured out for the people in our lives. And so take the bread and look at the person next to you and say, the body of Christ that was broken for you. Now the cup, the blood of Christ that is shed for you. All right. Amen. Let's all stand. Grab hands with the person next to you if you like. What what time do they need to be at the pool? Six fifteen. If you want to help unload, he'll still be there at five thirty, and it'll just be me and him. He looked at me like, "What do you say?" All right. So let's pray and we'll go home. So Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this love. How it has the power to transform us and how it has the power to transform the world. And so may we have the faith, may we have the hope, may we have the love that you share. May we share it with the people in our lives. And so Holy Spirit, we ask that you just guide us and keep us this week. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. See you guys.